Hey, it's great to see you all here this morning. Uh, if it's your very first time here, welcome. My name is Dave, and I'm the lead pastor here at Connect. You know, right when Andy said we're going to continue our series, I was thinking about people who maybe it was your very first time here this morning, and you heard that phrase, and you're like, oh, great, again, continuing a series. So, so we do teach in series here at Connect, but it's not like, you know, deciding to watch Lost and starting in season three and trying to figure it out, okay? It's not like that. Um, even though we kind of go through a series, uh, it helps us to kind of navigate through the subject we're teaching. Each week is kind of a standalone subject, so you can go back on our website and our uh, 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 church app and listen to or watch previous messages. But in this particular series, we've been talking about the idea of love does, and each week we're looking at a unique and individual way in which we feel like, as followers of Jesus, we should demonstrate what love does, what love looks like. So for example, last week, um, if you weren't here, we talked about the idea that love serves and we had a, a message on the idea that one of the great ways that we, especially as followers of Jesus, can demonstrate the love of Jesus, the love of God, is in serving one another. And um, I always love it when I get some interaction afterwards because uh, it shows me that people have engaged in the message. And um, I love it if I get a message through the week. This week, um, there was a little Facebook post because last week we were talking about the idea that love serves. And we talked about the idea that really some of us are looking for those magnificent acts we can do to serve others, whereas in that fact, one of the greatest ways we can demonstrate the love of Jesus is in those small individual acts of kindness. So if you weren't here last week, you missed out because we gave money away, okay? We were giving away money all over the place. So when everyone left, they got a quarter, okay? So if you're really upset, come see me. I can hook you up with a quarter if you did miss last Sunday. But uh, the quarter was meant to demonstrate just those simple acts of service. And uh, I encourage people, I said, hey, do something with that quarter. Tape it to your... Um, bathroom mirror, put it on the dash of your car, put it somewhere to remind you of those small ways in which we can serve. And uh, one of the wonderful families that Connect posted this picture during the week, and it is the uh, toilet roll holder in their house. And if you look very closely here, I've circled it on the next picture, there's the quarter. So their uh, ingenious daughter decided that's where the quarter needs to go, just to remind folks in that family's home that when that thing's empty, it can be replaced. It's not difficult. Just, just replace the yeah. Yes, good job. Well done. Well, well applying, well applied to the message. That's awesome. So this week we're going to continue on in the series of Love Does. And uh, just to set up the theme of what I want to speak about this morning, I'm going to ask a question. I've actually asked this question before. Any of you ever um, had, had one of those moments where it's like an awkward handshake? You went in for the high five or it was kind of, yeah, we've, we've all been there. I've been there more than most because I'm very awkward and clumsy when it comes to, because um, I'm English. All we do is shake hands, okay? And now I live here in America and there's 11 different options of greeting. And it's just very confusing. And, and I've shared this before, inevitably I'm the guy that goes in for the high five instead of the fist bump and I end up doing the ball and socket and it's just awkward, you know, it's just really kind of uncomfortable. So if that's you, I feel your pain this morning, but I'm going to help you out here. If you've ever felt uncomfortable, if you've ever tried to shake hands and it's just not gone right, this video I'm about to show you gave me a lot more peace this week. I was like, you know what? It could have been worse. Check this out. Well, congratulations, guys. Thank you. I will see you back here in one month. It's going to be awesome to see you. Thanks for watching, guys. We're going to be back with the next match coming up. Samla in så mycket licensavgifter som möjligt, för det är det som är ditt jobb. Och det gör människor irriterade, aggressiva och upprörda. Och det har de aldrig rätt att vara.
Uh, stocks are even now. Cypher still has to be very careful. Oh, and he just gets it game. right away. We get a JV2 okay. to end that. 2 1. A great game by Apollo and. Definitely more convincing than the Sunday, but at least CLG move on to 9 and 5. They're part of that big tie for third right now. Neymar. Okay, sorry. I just was feeling uncomfortable watching some of those. And it was surprising, wasn't it, to see how many video gamers were awkward socially with each other. You'd, you'd think that they would be great at just interacting in real life. But... Uh, <laughs> Some of you are kind of looking at that thinking, oh, yeah, that's so awkward. But some of you are like, you know what? It doesn't faze me at all because I'm, I'm totally cool with handshaking, high fives, back slapping. I, I mean, you might even be a hugger here this morning. You, you have no issues with that whatsoever. And then there's others of you, just that I mentioned the word hugging. You just kind of cringed a little bit there just at the thought of someone giving you a hug, someone encroaching on your physical space. I have a friend uh, who comes to Connect, and he sent me this picture with a suggestion uh, for a seating option at the new building. He said, maybe you could put some chairs in like this for me, for that moment when you don't feel like turning to your neighbor and saying hello. <laughs> you see, there's something about touch, and we're going to talk about that here this morning. You see, Love Does is the title of our series. We've talked about how love manifests itself in, in many different ways, and, and one of the great ways of looking at this is we're able to kind of look to God himself, because not only does God show love and God demonstrates, and, and we can read in the Bible that God loves us, but one of the great things we can read in 1 John 4.8, we've been looking at this a lot through this series, is that according to 1 John 4.8, God is love. He doesn't just demonstrate or show love, he is love, completely love. So we can look to him for an example of what love looks like. And then on top of that, he can show, we can look at to, to Jesus, who is God in the flesh, who demonstrated what love itself looks like. Jesus showed us that love is way more than just a feeling that love does. Through Jesus, we see that love is active. Love is intentional. Love is lived out in tangible ways. And over the last few weeks, we've looked through the lens of the life of Jesus, and we've seen that love speaks. We've seen through the life of Jesus that love connects. Last week, we know that as Jesus washed the feet of his disciples, that love serves. And this morning, I want us to think about another ways in which love can be displayed, and that is through physical contact. Now, obviously, if you're married here this morning, that goes without saying, you know, I'm sure you, you hold hands with your wife, cuddle with your wife, whatever it may be, but I'm talking about physical contact outside of that relationship. And I want to be clear here this morning, because we're going to talk about this a lot, I'm obviously not referring to unwanted or uninvited physical advances. That type of physical interaction, that's never okay. But there is something, isn't there, about a hand on a shoulder when someone is hurting, 
a high five to, to encourage someone, a, a hug that can communicate love in a way that sometimes just mere words can't. And we're going to learn today that Jesus always displayed this active kind of love. We're going to discover that there were some times where Jesus demonstrated that love does by drawing near and actually connecting physically with a human being. We're actually going to see an incredible example this morning in the life of Jesus. And we're going to discover today that love embraces. Love shows itself in the way that it embraces those around us. So before I go into this um, subject and we look at the life of Jesus, let me kind of set the scene here for you this morning and, and maybe paint a little bit of a picture of the culture that we live in. Why, for some of us this morning, this particular message might be a little bit of a challenge. You see, those who know me, you'll know that um, I'm kind of a big fan of technology. Um, if there's a new gadget out, I want to get it. And uh, I'm an especially big fan of Apple, okay? I just, I love all their products. I like their watches, their phones, their computers, and I'm, I'm really into Apple. I'm, I'm kind of, probably it's a problem. Um, I put this tweet up a couple of years ago when it was one of their um, announcements of a new product come in, and it says, uh, I just was kind of laughing. It's Apple says, we're excited to announce my response. I'll buy it. Apple, just let me finish. Nope, I'll buy it. I said I'll buy it. <laughs> and that's kind of me, okay? As soon as the announcement comes out, I don't even know what they're making, but I'm, I want it. <laughs> I want one of them. And here's the problem, though, isn't it, with, with technology and social media. It's wonderful how it's, you know, given us all these different features that we've never had before. But it's kind of having an impact on, on us as a culture, isn't it? We're, we're slowly moving away from physical contact because of technology, I mean, seriously, have you ever thought about this? I know some of you have. I know some of you parents think about this. Just the impact that technology is having on us as a society. I did some research, and I found out that the normal smartphone user touches their smartphone over 2,600 times in one day. That's just average, okay? That's like me or your parents or your grandparents, okay? If you're like probably under 20, it's 5,400 times a day. 5,400 times a day, we are touching the screen and doing something. And here's the crazy thing. For many of us, we find that so easy. We're actually communicating with people that might be stood right next to us. And it's easier to communicate this way than to actually interact or physically touch that person in real life. Just this morning, I was chatting with one of my friends during the setup time, and, and we were talking about his son, and he said, you know, he's really excited about the youth group and uh, being a part of the youth group, and they're trying to get him involved. And he said, you know, he, he just plays Xbox a lot. He's excited he's going to be able to, you know, kind of join in. And he said, but Dad, I've got all these friends that I talk to on the Xbox, and that's great. But there are some people in real life as well. There's some interaction that could take place in real life. And here's where it becomes problematic. There's actually a professor at Berkeley, his name was Dacca Keltner, and he says that as a society, we're becoming a touch-deprived culture. A touch-deprived culture. One of the reasons is technology, and we're getting very inward-looking with all the different gadgets and games that we have. But he said another part of it was based on a study that he was um, talking about, and, and some of it's cultural. Some of it's just the fact of where we live. 
He talked about this, this study they did where they, they looked at couples and they, they decided to look at friends who were gathering together at a cafe for lunch and they looked at these same periods of time so they kind of decided, okay, we're going to look at it for this amount of time at these different cafes around the world and we're going to count how many times these, these friends, okay, these two different friends, touch each other during their conversation. So in England, the two friends never touched one another. <laughs> Just sat there, drank their coffee, had a conversation. In the U.S., they touched each other twice when there was a burst of enthusiasm in the conversation. In Puerto Rico, the friends touched each other 180 times in that same amount of time. So there's a cultural issue we're facing here. The conclusion I've come to this morning is if you're feeling down, you're looking for some affirmation, you need to find a Puerto Rican and take him out for lunch. You're going to feel great afterwards. I mean, you really are going to feel built up. One of your American friends there, not going to do it. And that's for me. You're going to get nothing from me, apparently. <laughs> so there's a cultural thing going on. There's a, there's a technology aspect. And we seem to find that we're living now in this, this touch-averse society. But is that really a big deal? I mean, really, should we be speaking about this on a Sunday? Is this really an issue that really needs to be addressed? I think it does. I think if you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, this is something that we should think about when we, when we look to the God who is love and we say, God, I want to show your love to, to my friends and my neighbors and my community. I want them to experience the same love that I've experienced. So God, how can I do that? And that can come sometimes through speaking, through serving, but, but really through, through, through physical contact. Is that really a big deal? Well, I think it is. You see, I think there are a lot of people around us every single day who on the outside may appear to, to have everything put together but are still experiencing what some sociologists call a crowded loneliness. A crowded loneliness. Crowded loneliness is that feeling of isolation and being alone even when you're surrounded by hundreds or even thousands of people. You can be in a room full of people and still feel what's called this crowded loneliness. And it can happen anywhere. It can happen here at church, at home with your loved ones, at a party, surrounded by family and friends. We're physically together, but emotionally and physically we feel disconnected. I think one reason that we need this, this physical touch more in our lives is because it communicates an emotion. One of the emotions that touch most often communicates is love. Whether it's a, a hand on your shoulder when you're hurting, whether it's a hug when you feel alone, a high five when you succeed, all of these sentiments that each of these touches carry is love. It's a way of communicating love to those around us. And it's so important because we often avoid or miss out on this physical contact with one another and it's depriving ourselves of love. And Jesus himself, we're going to see this morning, he demonstrated the power of physical contact, the power that this can demonstrate in love. So let's look at this, this, this account of what took place in this one amazing incident in the life of Jesus. There are four um, men who write about the life of Jesus. Their names are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they, they give wonderful accounts. And together they give a really good kind of um, account overall of the life of Jesus. And you can learn so much about Jesus by reading their accounts. 
And we're going to look to Matthew this morning because he tells about uh, an amazing time in the life of Jesus in Matthew chapter 8, verse 1. It starts out, it says, When he came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. So picture the scene. Here's Jesus. He's just come down from the mountainside. Hundreds, maybe thousands of people are crowded in to see this man they've heard so much about, this man who teaches such incredible things, who, who's healed, who's, who's performed miracles, and they all want to see Jesus. So you'd think in this crowd of people, there would be a lot of connection. But maybe like today, Amongst this crowd, there were people who were surrounded by people, but still feeling that that sense of crowded loneliness. Because here's the thing, when we read about Jesus, it wasn't the churches he was filling, it wasn't the worship centers he was filling with people, it was the public places. So that day, there would have been Jewish people, Gentiles, tax collectors, maybe even prostitutes, people from every group, people from every clique, people bringing all sorts of different emotions, backgrounds, stories, battles they were facing, all gathered together in that crowd that day. So maybe in that crowd, there were some that felt isolated. In fact, I know for sure there was at least one because we're about to meet him. Matthew chapter 8, verse 2, a man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. So what was he talking about here? Well, well, in this day and age, okay, leprosy um, could have been a number of different skin conditions, but there would have been people who would, would suffer in that day and age with leprosy. And leprosy obviously had a huge physical toll on the body. It was very painful, very, uh, just an awful physical condition that someone would have. But on top of the, the terrible physical effects, there was, there was more than that. It was the mental and emotional effects that came with it. Because if somebody was found to have leprosy, they were considered unclean. That's why the guy said to Jesus, you can make me clean. Because in the eyes of his society, he was unclean. So what that simply meant was that the, the religious center of worship, the temple, the synagogue, it had deemed that this particular person was unclean. That even if they wanted to worship God, even if they wanted to come to the temple to, to make a sacrifice and praise God, they couldn't because their skin condition, their disease, had caused them to be unclean. And because they were unclean, they were separated from society. They were put out of the community. Can you imagine what that must have felt like to those people? People who wanted to worship God but weren't even allowed into the church. On top of that, if someone even touched a leper, they were considered unclean. So not only were they dealing with this physical condition, but they couldn't even be around other people in fear that they would make someone else unclean. Because of their condition, they had to wear torn clothing. They had to cover the lower half of their face. And worst of all, they had to walk around crying out the words, unclean, unclean. I mean, what would that be like to have a, a, a disease that brought so much pain? To know that you are an outcast in society and then not even be able to hide it. To be around people and have to shout out, unclean. Because of this, most would stay away from others. They would live in colonies of their own. They would have almost no interaction with anyone. 
And yet today, we find that this one leper, he wants to see Jesus. It doesn't say specifically, but I imagine as he was making his way through that crowd, the, the people saw him coming. He probably was crying unclean as he was walking through the crowd. I'm sure people were, were spreading apart. No one wants to come close to him in case they themselves too became unclean. Maybe some were thinking, why is this guy even here? He should be out there with the other lepers, not here amongst us. People would have heard him before they even saw him because his voice was the instrument of his isolation. Separated. And yet he falls at the feet of Jesus and he asks for healing. But the amazing thing is, and we'd miss this if we didn't pause on this verse, the amazing thing is the way in which he asks Jesus to heal him. Because did you notice what he said? He didn't ask Jesus if he is able to heal him. He asked Jesus if he was willing to heal him. Not if he was able. He said, Lord, if you are willing, can you make me clean? You see, this guy had faith that Jesus could heal him. He'd probably heard of Jesus healing others. But due to years of suffering with this disease... All the emotional baggage that accompanies this ailment, his lack of self-worth, his, his lack of belief, his, his, his feeling of being worthless and unclean. His request shows that he's not even sure if Jesus' compassion will extend to someone like him. It's almost a kind of, Jesus, I know you can heal, but, and I would totally get it if you couldn't heal me. Because look at me. Look at the state I'm in. Look at the way my culture treats me. Look at the years I've suffered this isolation and this brokenness. Lord, I know you can heal me, but are you willing to? Would you? That's such a powerful moment there as he stands before Jesus. And I wonder if for some of us here this morning, we feel the same. Maybe we don't look like a leper on the outside, but we're sat here this morning and we're hearing about Jesus and we're thinking, well, that's great for that person over there and that person over there. But, but if you knew me, if you knew the baggage I carry, if you knew my past, if you knew who I was, I'm not sure that Jesus would be willing to engage with me this morning. Justin talked about this during worship, that sometimes we are our, our biggest enemies because we believe the lies. And Jesus just loves us so much. Jesus wants to extend his love and his forgiveness and his compassion and his mercy. And we just have a hard time believing it. Like the leper, we're like, well, we, I believe, Jesus, you can do that. And I believe you've done it for others. But are you willing to do it for me? Because Jesus, you know me. But I know that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And this is why I believe that wherever you're coming from this morning, whatever your baggage, whatever you're dealing with, I know that Jesus wants to connect with you this morning. I know that Jesus wants a relationship with you this morning. I know that Jesus wants to touch you this morning because I see how he responded when the leper asked him, Jesus, if you are willing, could you heal me? In verse 3, it says, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. Now this is huge. Before we even get to the idea of the healing, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. 
Jesus touched a leper. Imagine the impact of that moment. Imagine the crowd of people like you and me who had, who had given him a really large berth to get through because I don't want to go anywhere near that guy. I mean, that's the culture they lived in. That When you see someone like that, you don't go anywhere near them because if you touch them, you're unclean. And Jesus in that moment touches a man, a man who for maybe years, decades, has never felt the touch of a human being. And now he feels the warmth of Jesus' hand. And Jesus replies, I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately he was cured of his leprosy. That's incredible. So here's the question I want to think about this morning. Why does Jesus touch him? Why would Jesus even touch him? And you might say, well, to heal him, but that's not the answer. Because if you actually read a little bit longer or a little bit later in Matthew chapter 8, we discover that a Roman centurion comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, I have this servant who's back at home and he's sick right now and I want to know if you'll come to my house and if you'll heal him. And Jesus uses this moment to teach a little bit about what authority and what the kingdom of God looks like because he knows that this centurion understands authority. So he says to the centurion, he said, now you understand that when you give a command, it's done. And he says, I do. So Jesus said, then I too have authority. So go home now, your servant is healed. I have that same kind of authority. And we read that the centurion returns to his house and the servant was healed. So Jesus doesn't have to touch people to heal them. Jesus was able to heal some people miles away just by speaking a word. So why not do that with the leper? Why not do that with the man who shouldn't be touched, whose society has determined that you cannot touch these people, they're unclean? Why not say you're healed, and then once he's healed and clean, then touch the guy? Because for Jesus, this was more than just a physical healing. When he touched that leper, something else happened. In that moment, Jesus touches him because that's what love does. Love reaches out, love draws near, love embraces. I came across this, this great quote this week from uh, Michelangelo, the artist, not the turtle. And uh, he, I think, I'm assuming, but he said, to touch is to give life. Michelangelo said, to touch is to give life. And as Jesus reaches out and touches this man, he is, in effect, giving him back his life. The culture of that day, they treated lepers as outcasts. This man needed more than just a physical healing. He needed an emotional healing from the years of pain and brokenness that living as an outcast can bring. And who better to show healing love like that than Jesus? Jesus' love was demonstrated in that moment as he touched that man. I was reading this week and I came across this quote from a, a missiologist, a guy who studies missions, and his name's David Bosch, and he was talking about the nature of Jesus. And I thought, this ties in so well with what I was speaking on Sunday. Listen to what he said. He says, it's remarkable to note how these people to whom Jesus turned are referred to in the Gospels. They are called the poor the blind, the lame, the lepers, the hungry, sinners, those who weep, the sick, the little ones, the widows, the captives, the persecuted, the downtrodden, the least, the last, those who are weary and heavenly burdened, the lost sheep. These are the people that Jesus came to love. 
I have to challenge myself as a follower of Jesus sometimes because when I look at this list, there's a temptation within me to avoid people in this list. To, to not, you know, to move around people like that. But Jesus went straight to them because he wanted to demonstrate and show what love does. And then Jesus goes on to say in Matthew chapter 8, verse 4, See that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. You see, in that moment, I think Jesus realized that, that this man now realized he was healed. He was clean again. That his relationships with friends and family would be restored. And I would imagine that he knew that the very first thing this man wants to do was run to his family, run to his friends. But because of this ingrained belief within this culture that people with skin disease and leprosy were unclean, Jesus said, listen, you're going to need to go to the temple first. You're going to need to go and worship and sacrifice because you need to be, even though you are healed and set free and delivered, it needs to become official. They need to say, yes, this man is clean. Jesus sends him there because despite the fact that Jesus wasn't afraid to touch him in that culture, he would still have that stigma attached to him. He said, but once you've been there, then you'll be welcomed back into your community. You'll get your life back because to touch is to give life. And Jesus just gave this man his life back. So as we go into this week, what can we learn from this about Jesus? How can this impact our lives? Well, for starters, I expect after church, I just want to see a lot more fist bumps and high fives in the foyer, okay? I want to see lots of uh, interaction out there this morning. For being serious, how, how, does, how do we demonstrate this love that embraces in our daily lives? What does that look like? You see, every day we encounter people who may not have leprosy, but they are carrying pain and guilt, and doubt, and fear. Maybe we encounter people who think differently than we do. And because they know that they think or live differently than we do, they assume that we've already judged them, that we don't want to connect or touch them. And they're asking, like the man who asked Jesus, are you willing are you willing to draw near? Are you willing to help heal my hurt? Are you willing to love me? You know, a hand of comfort on someone's shoulder, it might just say to someone this week, I'm willing. A hug to someone who's going through a difficult time, it might just say to that person, I am willing. Do you know, even a handshake can make a difference. You might say, seriously, just honestly, even a handshake let me give an example of that. There was a lady who lived during the Second World War. Her name was Corrie Ten Boom. If you've heard of this lady, this wonderful follower of Jesus, you'll know that uh, she and her family, they lived in Holland, and, and they hated seeing what was going on and the, the horrible things that the Germans were doing and the Nazis were doing to, um, to the Jews and to people in that community. So, so her family, they kind of tied in with the resistance, and they were hiding people in their home, and they were helping get people to safety. And at some point during this, they were found out, their secret was discovered, and her and her family were arrested. Her and her sister were placed into one of the Nazi concentration camps. It was a horrible experience. Corrie Ten Boom was fortunate she survived, and through a clerical error, she was meant to be sent to the gas chamber, but they released her. Her sister died in the concentration camp. Many of her friends did. 
But as a follower of Jesus, she, she went around after the Second World War talking on, on Jesus and most importantly on forgiveness. She talked about how she had been able to, through the love of Jesus, forgive her captors. And in theory, this was a great thing for her to teach until one day, one day she was at a gathering. Uh, this was just a few years after the war. And as she was speaking on forgiveness and the, 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 the service came to an end and people were getting up to leave, suddenly she saw him. She saw this man who instantly she recognized as one of the guards from the camp in which she'd been imprisoned. I'm going to read a passage here from her book about what happened in that moment. And that's when I saw him working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hats, the next a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. And now he was in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. It was the first time since my release that I'd been face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk. He was saying, I was a guard in there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time, he went on, I've become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there. But I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fraulein. Again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there. I whose sins had every day to be forgiven, and I could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hands held out, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you of your trespasses. I knew it only as a commandment of God, but as a daily, not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what the physical scars. Those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And still I stood there with coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. 
So I prayed silently, Jesus, help me. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried, with all my heart. And for a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. Could she have forgiven that man without touching him? Of course. She could have said, I forgive you, but something took place. She would have missed a supernatural experience with God had she not reached out in that moment and shook his hand. Never underestimate the power that touch can have in your lives because touch can give life. Are you willing, the man asked Jesus? And he was. But are we? Because love embraces. Love is willing. In fact, love isn't just willing. Love does. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. And what a great example that we can look to this morning. Not just that you are love, as that verse said, but that we see love in Jesus in the day he touched the man who no one else would touch. Yes, Lord, you physically healed him, Lord. But I think more happened in that moment when you touched that man than in the actual healing itself. Father, we are surrounded by people carrying emotional baggage, different things that um, bring them to a point of brokenness that um, despite the crowds around can be living in isolation and loneliness. We're in a touch-deprived society. Help us as followers of Jesus demonstrate love, show love to those around us in the way that love embraces. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.